Well, hello everybody, it's Bishop Kai, good to be with you, and welcome to the first ever episode of the new Commons Sense podcast, uh, part of our CDTV broadcast, but this is the episode where we talk about matters that are political, religious, and cultural, and today is a very special day because although it is our first episode of the Commons Sense podcast, it is also our first episode where we have a guest, and I'm proud to say, first time ever live in the studio with me. Joining me today is a man that many of you might know, the TikTok sensation that is Praying Pete. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pete Prosser, a former Brexit Party and Reform Party candidate for Parliament and now a political commentator and activist who has also been on uh, TNT Radio, like myself, on the Dean Mackin Show and, and others. And uh, I'm blessed to have Pete, who is uh, also a dear friend, here with me as we talk about what has been a very, very important week in British politics and looking at things far further afield. <laughs> Welcome, Pete. Good to have you on the Common Sense Podcast, and uh, thanks for being my first guest on our first ever episode. You are a TikTok sensation. I'm so glad that we, a long time ago, had a conversation to get you on TikTok. For anybody listening, Pete's TikTok does far better than mine now, um, but you really touch on some very, very interesting points. Uh, so for, let me ask you the first question I probably should start with. What got you interested as a man of faith in British politics? I wouldn't like to say I was ever interested. <laughs> British <laughs> politics is something I would have liked to have avoided. But we have so much happening in our country, which is potentially detrimental and is detrimental to our current livelihoods and indeed to our very own faith. And um, one of the things that brought me into politics was seeing how our faith was being closed down in many different ways through many different arms. And this at the time was particularly coming through the European Union. And one of the things that I immediately identified was, well, we need to change that. Uh, and that's what brought me into the idea of getting out of the European Union. Of course, everything moves slightly. And then you find that all these tentacles are still coming in. And it's no longer the European Union that's pushing them so hard but actually it's the groups that were behind the European Union and they're still so active now, pushing into our country, grabbing at our political leaders, grabbing at our leaders of go local government, the local councils, and they're manipulating our very own country. So do, what do we do about it? Well, the first thing we've got to do about it is we've got to understand what's happening. Well, uh, you've been very vocal in your, uh, what should we say, criticisms, and exposés on the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, and, and other organizations on TikTok. A lot of people resonating around the world with what you're saying, not just here in Great Britain and Europe. Very much understanding that there is a very dark and sinister agenda at work, particularly within the political field. You and I both worked in that field for several years and, and know how dark the environment is. So let me ask you this. With what's going on in British politics, in geopolitics, when we look at what's going on at the time of the recording with Israel and Hamas and, and the, the ongoing struggles there following the October 7th uh, attacks, is the political world more satanic than we realize? Are there dark forces at work, not just people, but spiritual forces at work behind this? And... Are we as believers, are we as the church awake, truly awake, I should say, to what's going on? Or are uh, the majority of believers living in a state of what I have, I've come to term blissful and willful ignorance? Well, we love to be blissfully and willfully unaware of everything. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing I like more than putting my feet up and doing nothing. However, that's not really helping anybody. There's a, a thread that runs through all the different things that are happening. So we've got the United Nations. We've got the World Economic Forum. We've got the World Health Organization. Indeed, we've got NATO. We've got the European Union. And yet some strange threads follow through them all. And you can see that all of them are working to build a singular, particular agenda. Now, this has been written out in different agendas that you can actually read. However... There's a question then, what is behind all of these different agendas? And it's quite clear when you look at who wrote these agendas, the kind of things that these people were into. 
and what we find is a lot of a satanic worship and we find satanic ritual. Now, why would you have that at the founding of, for instance, the United Nations? Why would you have satanic symbolism throughout the United Nations? This doesn't make any sense, or does it? Why would you have this satanic symbolism even in the European Union? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But yes, it does. Because when you can then see that there is a push from behind all of these different organisations, which comes from a singular place, you can now identify what you're really dealing with. And all that's really happening is we've got some bad people pushing a very bad agenda. But these bad people don't come up with that agenda themselves. They get that agenda from somewhere. And interestingly, the people who are presenting the agenda are usually deeply involved in darkness. I'm not. I'm deeply involved in light. And so we've got a conflict. I don't mind conflict. Conflict's okay. I don't like conflict. But conflict is something we must step up and take on board. Um, Is it right to let darkness rule? And it's simple. Our answer is no. If we see somebody getting beaten in the street... Are we going to do something about it? And the question there now has really sprung up because are we going to walk past what's happening or are we going to get involved? Now, if we walk past what's happening, the chances that next time you walk down that street, it might be you. If we stand up now, get involved, there will be two against the one that's doing the beating. So it's time to stand up, get involved. Well, you you, you mentioned... Um you know, if we walk past, I think one of the, the biggest cultural shifts we've seen certainly in the last 10 years with the advent and rise of social media is that people don't even walk past anymore now. They, they tend to stop and film what's going on because it makes for good social media content. And that just shows to me the depravity and the depths to which the human heart has sunk in its, its lust for sinfulness it's lust for things of the flesh carnal entertainment and the unwillingness to as christ did lay down his life for his friend john 15 talks about no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his friends i just think there's a, a general social unwillingness to stop and help anybody anymore you know it's, people are unwilling to help but that doesn't mean that's right we want to help and in general most people do want to help but we feel powerless when we look at the size of these organizations how do i pete take on the world economic forum uh, a group of people which are international leaders they're all big businessmen with lots of money here's pete with nothing how do i take them on this is a huge question and what are we going to do about it but there are answers you see when you're dealing with evil well, there's something that's better than evil. It's called God. And when God steps in, darkness has to step out. But you need to bring light, and you need to be filled with light to bring light. How can you bring light if you yourself are dark? And so now everything is suddenly turned and the fingers are pointing at me. And so what I have to do is come before God. I have to get myself right so that I can step in, step up, and make a change. But then you have to ask, what change do I make? Well, you find the answer to that by asking God, because God is the only one who can actually show us what to do to break such an evil pattern. When this has been manipulated at such a huge level, what are the things that bring it down? You see, we can fight against evil as much as we like, but all we'll be doing is fighting. What we need is the answers from God to actually pull the foundation from underneath it and cause the thing to crash. And God is in the business of giving those answers. I think there's a a very valid point in what you talked about there when we talk about light in particular. The Bible says that we walk as children of light. Jesus told us we are the light of the world. Um, I don't know if you're aware, there was a, a, I think it's a two or three year study that was conducted by the University of Los Angeles and um, the University of North Carolina uh, in a joint study. They they studied light and darkness, and the, uh, in particular, the effect of light on darkness. And the culmination of the study, the, basically the finding in a nutshell, was that after years and years of scientists teaching that light dispels darkness, what they've discovered is that's not true. Light doesn't dispel darkness, and I've heard that preached many times in many pulpits. I wear the light to dispel the darkness of the world. This scientific study actually proves that light consumes darkness. When we walk as children of light, when we are letting the light of Christ shine through us, 
into our lives, into our society, into our communities, into our culture, we are allowing the light that emanates from him through us to consume not only the darkness in our lives, but the darkness in the community that's around us by being an active part, by being the light in that community. So we bring that light by literally coming before God. You see, when we come before God in prayer, what we're doing is we are asking God to step in and to help. And that's what God wants us to do. He, he wants us to actually request for him to act. And when we request for him to act, we give him the room to move in that space, whatever we've requested. And if he wants to move in that space, he will. And he does. Uh, and this is, to me, what is so fascinating about all of this. We have this incredible power at our disposal, but we have to come reverently, respectfully, and we come before the living God and we simply request his help. Now, will God act? Well, he does act, but what will he do with us? He actually asks us then to step up and to move, and he'll show us different things to do, but when he shows us these little things to do, all we have to do is follow and do them. We might not understand what we're doing in the strange thing that we're doing, but all of a sudden things begin to happen. And that's why I said earlier about pulling the foundation out from underneath the darkness, because God brings the keys that do that. That's what we need to happen. This is where prayer becomes something that is very, very exciting. But at the same time, we can also not understand the incredible power that is open to us. So imagine this. We have this huge darkness, but we have God who is much, much bigger, looking at it with disdain because it is small. It is pitiful in his viewpoint. But he doesn't like it and he doesn't want it. So when his children come and say, Father, please, would you help here? It's his pleasure to act. And therefore, what we need now is a nation that comes before the living God and says, Father, please help. Well, let me ask you a question purely based on that. Because I remember when uh, I was involved in a government consultation on a piece of legislation that has changed the laws concerning marriage in the United Kingdom. And the church was very active in our praying, especially on the day of the vote on the, the bill that became law. A lot of people gathered outside Parliament, on Parliament Square, a lot of believers there praying. Didn't change a single vote in that chamber. So as a believer, for us that are involved in the political environment, for those that are listening that don't understand but feel like they need to do something, is prayer enough in itself or is what we need now people that are willing to pray but then match that prayer with a corresponding action under the instructions of the Holy Spirit. When you come before the living God, the question that you're asking of yourself is what does God want me to do? When we come and we ask him for help with a particular issue, we ask with that particular issue, but the answer may not be that particular issue. And the problem with coming before God is that the answer may first be with an issue with myself. And I have to deal with that first so that I can move with the next thing. It may be that the actual issue is something that I can't see. So like when you were saying there was all these people praying, but nothing appeared to happen. When we pray, we don't just go and demand of a thing before God. We go before God, and the Bible says to submit to God. Submitting is, is not about me telling God what to do. It's about me coming before God, putting my whole self before him, changing myself to say, right, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to do these things that I know that I shouldn't do, that I've been doing. I want to put all that aside. I submit then to God. And Father, what now about this? And for me, what I usually find is something completely different, not even the thing I was looking at. And then somehow, a little while later, we see that curving back around to the thing that I was looking at and making effective change. And this is interesting because what that springs in is fasting. Fasting is something that I don't like doing, let's be honest. But stopping eating so that I can pray is something which messes with my head I really don't like to do it but if I do it 
sometime later you see the power of God dropping in. And I can actually sort of chart it back on my own life, spend a bit of time fasting, see the power of God a couple of weeks later dropping in. And this is what prayer in these situations is all about, is submitting to God first so that we can see the action of God in the way that he wants to deliver it, not in the way that I demand it. You see, I don't have a right to demand from God, but God wants to give. So I need to give him the room to move so that he can give into my life in this situation, whatever his answer is. And let, let it be sure known, I do not know what God's answer is on some of these topics. Some are written quite clearly in the Bible, what he would like, what he would not like. But even then, sometimes there is a road to go down to achieve what God wants in his purpose. I'm glad you said you don't like fasting because I don't either. I've always wondered why they call it fasting. Whenever you do it, it always seems to go so slow. <laughs> but there we go. Well, that's a great foundation. And and let's turn that now because obviously we talk about politics. We talk about current affairs. This week has been, as I said in the intro, a very interesting week. First King's speech in 72 years. Bold blatantly political gender from the Conservative Party and, and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Is the United Kingdom on the threshold of change in politics? And if so, is it going to be a good thing or are we looking at more of the same? So we've seen the WhatsApp messages, haven't we? They've come out in the <coughs> COVID inquiry. No, they didn't think that what they were doing was right, but they were doing it anyway. Though they didn't believe what they were being told, but they would do it anyway. They knew that there were blatant liars within their team, and they used them anyway. These lies, this manipulation that they put our whole country through, they destroyed lives first. People died because of what they did. They destroyed businesses. They destroyed our nation for a couple of years so that our productivity and our growth stopped, halted, and still we've got people working from home because of this in council offices wasting people's time they're now working from home and getting paid to do that and slowing the whole process down all of that that's happened is manipulation and it's dirty manipulation because it wasn't truthful or honorable the same team that was in charge then is in charge now with the removal of a couple of figureheads but it's the same team that's in charge. Do I think that any of this legislation they're pushing forward is not politically motivated for an agenda which is worldwide, not of our country? And that's my biggest problem because this stuff that they're putting forward hasn't come from our own people. It hasn't come from our own think tanks. No, it's come from a group which is outside of our country. In fact, a number of groups, and they're driving legislation into our country. And our own people who should be writing this legislation for themselves, working it out for themselves, are too lazy. They're just simply adopting whatever the United Nations says, whatever the World Health Organization says, whatever the um, World Economic Forum says. And they're going, oh, yes, we'll do that because everybody else is doing it. And they haven't got the bottle to stand up and say no. They are absolutely cowardice. It, they're full of it. They have no determination to be honourable or to drive in the right way. Well, I, I, th I don't think we've had a change of government since, since Blair came to power in 1997. We we've, might have had a change of party. But to me, for the last, what, 20-odd years, they've been pushing the same policies and and the same agenda, the way I'm looking at it, the way I've examined the political environments I work in and the people I speak to, the politicians change, but the agenda doesn't because the agenda is being driven by a globalist civil service that really is the power behind what's going on. But we don't look at it like that because, of course, they're not the ones that we're voting for. So let's have a look at what's happening. We've got Tony Blair currently being cited as a potential new world leader of the World Economic Forum. <coughs> there, He's being suggested as the new leader. After Klaus Schwab, this terrible man. We've got Keir Starmer saying that the World Economic Forum is more authoritative than the British government and therefore they are the lead over the British government. And he's going to stand to be our own PM. What's going off? Can you see here that this is a manipulation of our country from outside? So, let's quickly, the World Economic Forum, who are they? 
They're a group of exceedingly well-paid businessmen with lots of money behind them who are deciding how to change the world so that they can make even more money. We see this in, like, farming and agriculture. We see this in the Netherlands, in Southern Ireland. We even see it coming into our own country now where they are trying to take away the small farmers so as they can own all of the farmland and take all of the money for themselves. They are doing this on a mass scale, but not just in farming. They're doing it in every aspect of our lives. How can they tax us more? How can they take more money off us? How can they put us into fear so that we will do what they say? And how can they control us? This is a horrible thing. But it is just simply nasty businessmen at the top making huge decisions over all of our lives. Well, Britain shouldn't be run like that. We have our own government and we need right now a firewall between British politics and every other type of politics. We need a complete and utter separation between whoever's in lead in government and whoever's in lead in our civil service and all of these outside groups so that there can be no interaction between the two. There should be completely separate people that go to these groups to hear what they're talking about. They can come back and report to our government, but we don't want our government to have anything to do with them. When Gordon Brown was Prime Minister, Labour promised the United Kingdom a referendum on uh, the, the giving over of certain sovereign powers, the European Union, whilst we were still members. Never happened. We didn't get a referendum. They just gave away powers to the European Union again. Are we looking at the potential of Keir Starmer doing exactly the same if he's elected or, or, or if Labour win the general election next year and, and he becomes um, Prime Minister. I know he's keen for us to go back into the European Union. The cost of that to me for the British public is going to be absolutely immense. We will certainly lose sovereign powers. We will lose our currency and various other things to because we have to go in as a new member, not a returning member. I look at the whole situation. I mean, uh, there's an old expression. I don't like using it, but, you know, you talk about which is the lesser of two evils. But to me, as as I look at the whole political spectrum, there isn't a lesser of two evils in that whole parliamentary process, that whole setup there with the government, the loyal opposition, the other parties. They're all... Uh, strings of the same bow to me. It's you know they might have a different parliamentary party name to it, but they're all of a of an agenda. With I guess one exception, maybe you could argue that Sunak is not necessarily as beholden to the WEF as others would be, and is that largely partly because the man's worth an awful lot of money and doesn't see the benefit of him being part of a, such an organization or is it all a ploy to lull us into a contrived sense of security that he's working in the best interest of the British public until, you know, they win the election and then do a complete 180 and push that globalist agenda again? The love of money is the what? You know the answer to this one, right? The, yep, root, the root of all, of all evil. evil. Right. And that's where we're at. We've got people here <coughs> are, who are swayed very easily by money. Tony Blair is a fantastic example. He went in as a regularly ordinary man and became prime minister. But look at what he's worth now. Then you've got to ask, how did he get that money and what has he done for it? I can tell you right now that money will change people's hearts very, very quickly. And if you offer me £10 million tomorrow, if I will just simply say these things, I am going to be very hard-pressed to not take it. And so this happens to all of these people. And the World Economic Forum is all in the title. It's all about money. And they will offer to anybody to change and they will bring change that way that's why we need a new government we can't have conservative and labor we can't have plied cymru we can't have the snp these people have failed us these people have to go we need new engineers farmers we need them in government we need people with honorability people who care people who love and people who are prepared to work for a decent and honest wage without taking the backhanders without taking the bribes this has been happening in 
our country for way too long. It should be illegal. It is illegal, but they found so many loopholes around it that they are smashing that apart and they are just making millions by being in the space. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be legal because that's not people caring for our country. That's people caring for their pocket. So what do we do? These people have got to go. The problem that we have is that they are already signing over um, many of our legal rights to other organisations. So you may have heard that they are in the process of signing over our legal rights to the World Health Organization so that the World Health Organization can say at any point, there's a pandemic and you must do what we do and what we say. So as soon as they say there is a pandemic, then all power is taken from our country and it becomes theirs. Well, who is the World Health Organization? One of the major funders to the World Health Organization is Bill Gates, a computer software man. Now, why would we put the power of our own country into the hands of multi-billionaires who are controlling things for their own benefit? It takes a five-minute Google search to find out how bad Bill Gates is simply controlling the world for his own benefit. How is it that our government is even considering this and yet many, many countries around the world are currently signing up to this and I believe it's in March next year, it will be ratified unless we pull out of it. And so far, we've signed into it. This is abhorrent. If you bother to Google most influential doctor in the world, it will tell you the most influential doctor in the world is Bill Gates. <laughs> and the <laughs> man... The ma that yeah, exactly. The man's got no medical qualifications whatsoever, but that's largely because of the funding and, and the agenda he's got with the WHO. And uh, I think that's a good point for us to take a short break. We'll be right back. And we're back. And uh, joining me in the studio today, as you've been listening to, very, very interesting man. I love talking to Pete. He's a dear friend of mine. The TikTok sensation that is Praying Pete. And I hope that by now you've all got TikTok and you're at least following him. It's uh, at Praying Pete, I think. And you've got Praying Pete too as well uh, <laughs> or, enough, yeah. multiple profiles not to say that he's a man of multiple personalities but he's certainly a man of multiple profiles um but you you've touched on some very very interesting stuff in your tiktok videos hundreds of thousands of views millions of people reached by what you said so let's pick up there why, why tiktok and and what made you talk about the things that you bring to the attention of anybody that watches one of your videos? Well, I appear to be semi-permanently banned on Facebook. <laughs> um, they don't like anything that I say. So um, uh, let's be honest, Facebook uh, don't like it, but probably TikTok doesn't either. A lot of my videos do get sort of removed and then put back up because people complain. We don't worry about that, though. And you will see that if you do come across any of my my, my stuff there, you, you'll see there is a wide and varied format. Um <coughs> How do I talk about politics without talking about God? Um, and how do you talk about God without talking about politics? I made a very vain moment where I thought I'd try and split the two out a bit and started two channels. And But you know what? It doesn't work. The, the two are desperately entwined. You can't pull them apart. Is God interested in world affairs? Of course he's interested in world affairs. How can you pull God out of that? Am I interested in world affairs? Yes, I am. But how should I be interested in world affairs? I should be interested through the viewpoint of God. I shouldn't be interested in it from my own perspective or my own desires or my own random thinking. I should base everything from what God has told me, from what the Word of God, the Bible, actually says. And why would you do that? You see, there's a question that people throw at me. This is, well, it's got nothing to do with now. But where do your morals come from? You see, if I've got no reason to not steal, well, why not steal? In fact, I've always thought I'd make a very good robber. But the Bible says no. If you follow the Bible, you can't then become a person in politics that steals off the nation. It's not right. It's against the very word of God. The Bible says don't lie. We all lie continually. But the Bible says don't. That means I must have an active approach to my life that stops me from lying. And even when I do, I have to curtail it and I have to apologise and I have to get it resolved. But 
if I don't have the Bible as my guidebook, I can lie as much as I like and I can do a Boris Johnson. Tell the whole nation something that isn't true and expect them to believe it. Get found out again and again and again and just keep going. Now, you see, if you've got God, if you've got the Bible, now you have a raft of standards that you have to live by. Now, if there was ever a raft of standards that I would want our country to be abiding by, it would be those given by God in the Bible. Is there anywhere else we can get such a good raft of standards? No, there isn't. So now we're stuck. We need God and God in politics. You know, people have asked me many times, why as a bishop I've been so active in politics? And uh, I've told them, you know, it's intrinsic in the nature of what I do, both as a minister and as a believer, to, to be actively involved because it is only those that had an anti-Christ agenda that advocated for the separation of church and state in the first place. God's intention was that the two were always intrinsically joined. When we look way back in the Old Testament with the the the, uh, the the nation of Israel as it was back you know before the current nation of Israel, it was governed by kings and priests and led by prophets, all of these emissaries and voices speaking the will of God concerning a nation. And I think that we as, uh, certainly me as a clergyman, but certainly even more so we as believers need to be actively involved so that we do raise God's voice as a collective in that arena and hold them accountable to, as you said, a set of moral guidelines. And, and um, you know, uh, uh, people always ask me about the Ten Commandments. The, the, they're given to us with the understanding that it's almost impossible to live up to them because they list all of the things that we we fail to do. But the idea of it being a set of moral guidelines that we strive towards, especially for us as New Testament believers striving towards a Christ-likeness, this is not the, the benchmark by which you fail, but it is the thing that you aspire to. And I think we've got a wrong approach to the way we look at the Word of God and certainly the way we're approaching the political, cultural, social justice affairs and, and matters that are ongoing because of this warped perception of literally how we view the word of God and God's requirements of us. When God created mankind, he knew that we would fail, but he sets motions and works and word and a savior, a redeemer in place so that in our failure, we cannot. We don't remain in that. We're not killed off by our failures. We're not bound eternally by our sins, but we are able to live a life that is repentant, strive towards godliness, holiness, righteousness, integrity, Christ-likeness, I think is the best way of putting all of those things, and to become better human beings. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's all I would hope that, that for me as a believer... I do, and in my work within the political fields as well, is that I would be a, a shining example of one following Christ that encourages other people to follow in those footsteps as well. So we really need to strive after Christ-likeness, not just in our daily walk, but in our daily work as well. Well, first up, dramatic failure. That's me when it comes to following God <laughs> and what he wants. Complete and utter, drop down the hole, have to start climbing back out. That's me. That's the story of my life. However, God uses completely imperfect people. And he uses those who will come before him and say, I am sorry. Man, I have to do that a lot. And I'm trying. But what I found is that as long as I am trying, God is trying with me. He will help me. He will pull me back out of the hole I've jumped into. And as soon as I say, Father, please forgive me, he wants to just clean me, get me sorted out so that he can stand me back up on my own two feet and make me the dangerous man he has called me to be. Now, he wants us to be his independent ambassadors. He wants you to go before other people 
in his full power and strength. He wants you to bring his very words into other people's situations. There's moments in life when he wants you to reach out your hand, put your hand on somebody else, and his Holy Spirit will transfer from you to them and give them life. That is the dangerous man that God has called you to be. And that's the dangerous man I aspire to be, to be the person that God simply says to go that way and I will follow and I will get there and I will bring the very life of God to whatever situation he takes me to. That's been a wonderful story of my life to now. And it's been thoroughly involved with the ups and the downs of my terrible failure at following God the way I want to. But the blessing has been all the way through it to bless others greatly. And in so doing, it's blessed me enormously. Is there an absence of dangerous men in the body of Christ? Well, first you've got to find one. But there are. You see, that's the thing. There's people out there, and they're not usually people that you see. The people who move with God usually move in the background. You see, there's no need to blow your own trumpet or promote yourself. With God, the only need is to follow what he wants. We're not trying to create something that the rest of the world can see. We're trying to simply do what God wants us to do. And in that is the perfect movement with God. And as you get that little nudge deep inside your heart, not inside your head, but deep inside your heart that just says move here and you go and move, then you see the glory of God happening. These dangerous people are actually all around us and they move without other people seeing. They've been involved in my life. I've been involved in their lives. There's a network of people that just simply do what God wants. This is exciting. They are there. Is there a lack of them? You can never have, you know, enough people who are seriously following after the living God. Yeah, I remember talking to you about um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, referencing the original language when, you know, the Bible says, uh, the King James and the New King James translation say, the fields are white and the harvest, but the laborers are few. And I, I explained to you, in, in the original Greek, it doesn't mean laborers. It means workers willing to do the work, as in laboring laborers. So is that the problem for, let's say, believers in the political environment? Let's, let's look at that specific environment. Is there an absence, uh, in your opinion, of workers willing to do the work? Well, I was brought up to um, not involve um, my Christianity with politics. The two don't two don't go together. I was told that from school. What a lie. Um, but I bought it. Um, there must be many people in our country that have bought that lie because it's been forced to us since our, our very schooling. What, are we, what have we done about it? Well, most of us have literally just accepted it, but we mustn't just accept it. We must now say, hang on, this is, this is our turn. This is us. This is where we either do what God wants us to do or we don't. We need to now do what God wants us to do. And in order to do that, we've got to follow him. If we follow him, we have to get involved wherever he takes us. For me, that seemed to be politics. And I've definitely seen God do some wonderful things that needed doing. What's happening in the future is not for me to decide. It's for me to seek God and simply keep following. At the moment, I'm still involved in politics but I will keep following what God wants and wherever that takes me. And that should be the call of everybody's lives. Well, uh, you do a very good job, I will say that. And uh, I've had the privilege of working with you both as a, as a political activist, political commentator, and back when you were a parliamentary candidate for both the Brexit Party and Reform Party. And rarely can I say, in, particularly in the field of politics, rarely have I met a man that shares both the convictions and the courage of your convictions in that area. It's, uh, politics is an arena that uh, I've seen a lot of Christians walk into and become very, very corrupted by the system or just back down on their political beliefs because they fear the reprisals and uh, you know, conformity to the crowd is the quick, quickest route to acceptance. 
um, but I've never wanted to be accepted in that field. My my role there is to stand out, to be separate. I'm supposed to be salt. I'm supposed to be light. I'm supposed to be different. Uh, I'm not supposed to sound like them, talk like them, walk like them, think like them, lie like them, uh, you know, push agendas like they do. I'm there for God's plan and, and that only. And I'll commend you on the way that you have um, conducted yourself in the what's what now on five years now that I've been I've worked with you and and, and been involved in uh, the political field alongside the work that you do on that I'll encourage you to keep pressing on I was watching one of your videos on TikTok so that um, you were talking about the ULES and that's a uh, that's been a huge issue in the UK in the last few months and there was a moment when I looked at it and I th- I chuckled to myself because I thought, if ever I was looking for a man that I could say, my word, there's John the Baptist. It was praying Pete in his videos on ULES because it seemed like you were the only one crying aloud in the wilderness. Not the injustice of what they brought in with the ULES charges and everything, but the actual, the spiritual agenda behind things like this. So I've, lo- I've quite often looked at you in, in many ways as almost like a, a, a modern-day John the Baptist crying aloud as one in the wilderness of the British political scene. Well, they're all lovely words, but really, I think you've, you've missed it completely. I mean, I am nowhere near John the Baptist. I might whinge on about you, Les, and I, I do. Uh, I'm sorry for all those people who've had to listen to that, but it's important. You see, things that are important should be talked about, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't gloss over. You said about salt. You should be salt and light in the earth. Well, if salt hasn't got any flavour, mm. you're jolly pointless. And politicians who have no courage to speak the truth and to speak honourably and to speak what they know is right are completely pointless. I don't want to be salt that doesn't taste of anything. Mm. I want to be real and I want to be truthful. Admittedly, I'm going to make mistakes, and I've already said one or two things that proved to be not exactly correct, and I had to amend that and take these things out, because everybody is subject to the information that you receive, and so we can all make mistakes, and I'm not going to say that, you know, politicians can't make mistakes, but what I am going to say is, you need to be honourable about it. You know, you need to get it right as much as you possibly can. And if you're wrong, you need to change it. And you must listen to everybody that's got something to bring. Things should not be ruled from above, like some tyrannical ruler. And that's where we've got to in our country. When has our country ever been asked, would you like to drive at 20 miles an hour? Or would you like to have cameras put everywhere and charge you um, £9 a day to go into the centre of Bristol? Or would you like to be stopped from driving into the centre of Glasgow altogether? When was our country ever asked that? Well, it's, it's, when would our people ever ask that? I think that the problem is that when we look at politicians, they uh, unfortunately, and I, I've said this in many of the political speeches I've given, it's the political elite seem to have forgotten the basic principle of British democracy, and that is that they govern by consent. It seems that 650 people in Parliament have decided that they think they know what's in the best interest of, of a nation and a people, both on, it, on a domestic perspective and on a, a global political field. Looking at it from my perspective, the last few years in particular, when I look at what's come out of the COVID pandemic that hit the United Kingdom, the way the country was shut down, is politicians that have managed to stay the fight now. And of that, what I mean, Mark Drakeford, the Welsh First Minister, is the only one left. But that little bit of momentary autocracy or, or autocratic power that they had during the pandemic seems to have gone to their head. And I think uh, aspiring politicians are... are well, let's, let's have a quick look. Um, Mark Drakeford, you mentioned, mm. very interesting character. Um, Wales, the very first country to declare a climate emergency in the world. Let's have a good thought about that for a minute. Where are the world-leading scientists on climate change in Wales? How is it that Mark Drakeford suddenly knows that we are in a world climate emergency? Where does he get this information from? I'm going to suggest in the pocket. In the pocket of what? In the pocket of whom? Hmm. But he certainly didn't get it from himself. And he certainly doesn't have the understanding to understand it. 
Why would I say that? Well, he's recently, just this week, come out and said he doesn't even know how to use WhatsApp. So if he doesn't know how to use WhatsApp, <laughs> how can he know the intricacies of climate change? Now, as we all know, the intricacies of climate change are very many and very varied. The problem is that you can pay scientists to say anything and you have to listen to all the scientists. And the problem is we are not. There's many scientists saying completely opposite views to each other and our government is only taking one line. We have now a system that has come in in Wales where you the, the latest example is the 20 miles an hour across Wales. If you just quickly look at it, uh, you drive a truck at 20 miles an hour, it creates way more emissions than if you drive it at 40. Yep. In fact, uh, the lights come up on the dashboard to say that you're driving ineffectively and this is, this is not good. If you drive a car, does that do the same? Yes, it does. So if you're driving at 20 miles an hour, we're now creating a lot more pollution, uh, a whole lot more, not a small amount, a lot, lot more. And uh, we do it across the entirety of Wales. Now, nobody in the population of Wales asked for it. Thousands represented to say they didn't want it. The government decided they were doing it anyway. And why are they doing it? Because they're doing it the same way they did. Oh, no, we've got a climate emergency. Where did they get that from? That comes from the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. How is Mark Drakeford in the pocket of these two organisations? Now, if he's not, then there must be people behind him in the civil service here in Wales that are. And this is why we have to come back to we need a firewall between our government organisations and outside organisations because our government in Britain should not be declaring a world climate emergency, firstly, because it's not true, and secondly, who gives them the authority to do so? Mm. We did not. And who gives them the authority to change the speed across the entire country of Wales? The people did not. And what we're seeing across our country right now is the limitation of people's freedoms through things like ULES, 15-minute cities, 20-mile-an-hour zones, uh, central digital currency all of these things are all coming in the latest bill are uh, the environment bill which is now closing down on our energy bill it's called uh, closing down on our possibility to use a coal fire to use gas to use wood as a source of heat they're taking these things away from us they're going to take these three things away from us so that they can do what push us all onto electricity which is turn off and honorable by their power it's control and it's also putting a great way of taxing everybody because it puts tax in the same place which means they can bring all the money they want from it and as we've already seen in the last year they've hiked energy prices with no real reason i point out that all the way across europe they're massively lower than here and they've hiked these prices for what purpose all of that money's going somewhere Where's it going? How is it that if we have a, uh, a problem here in this country, a financial problem, that suddenly shareholders can get rich because of ordinary people suddenly having to have their energy prices hiked to three times what they were? And now we've got shareholders getting massively rich because of it. Well, that should be illegal right at the very centre of what's happening. That should be illegal. We have a regulator off gem. What are they doing? Mm. Right? But it's not that they are regulating. They're doing what the government's been told to do. So who told them? Was it Rishi Sunak? Or was it somebody else? And what we're seeing here is this intervention into our lives, our daily lives, the way that our lives are being run, through things that are coming in to our government and through our government from outside, designed to limit the people of Britain. Now, the problem is that the people of Britain can be very active, but whilst they're all trying to pay for their energy bills and they're really struggling to do so, so many of us are having to work very hard just to pay those bills and to keep rolling, we are not able to do the things that we need to to stop the nonsense that the government is pushing forwards because we're too caught up with the things that we're doing so you see um one of the ministers in wales there was 
openly boasting the other day, oh, well, the complaints now are slowing down. They're not coming in anymore about the 20-mile-an-hour zone, so it's going to be all right after all. And now there's not any complaints. The 20-mile-an-hour zone can stay. He openly is saying that, and the reason, therefore, they're trying to control us this way, keep us under pressure, is because our voices won't be raised. Mm. See, when the poll tax came in and the people rose up against it, the government had to stop it. And that's what needs to happen. Am I calling for an uprising of the people? Yes. Because the people need to stand up and say no to the Welsh government. But also they need to say no to 15-minute cities in Bristol, in Oxford. These things need to be stopped. Do they need to say no to the limitation of your freedom to drive through a city? Yes, we do need to say no. And ULES cameras should be taken away. They should all be scrapped. This needs to happen, but this won't happen whilst there's a controlling government keeping us pressed down, keeping us in a place where we're not going to say no. So what do we do? Because we're in the place where we're not going to say no because we've got to work really hard. Stand up, arise, be counted, work really hard and still stand up and say no. You mentioned climate change. What I believe is a, a a hoax, a, a fake climate emergency. Um, I believe the WEF lived by that age-old proverb, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and uh, looking to capitalise on it, you, you mentioned energy and what you said, they're two very, very divisive topics that are affecting everyday people. Some people are, you, you know, we see the just of oil protesters and the havoc that they're wreaking in the name of protest, to me, it's criminal damage. It's not protest. You get the the flip side of it, those that are, are labelled climate change deniers. Every single household in the UK is affected by the energy crisis, and that one, I will say, is a crisis. Not that there isn't a, enough to supply. The crisis is how much we're having to pay to get our hands on it. This week, as we started off the, the pod talking about it, first King's speech in 72 years, government lays out a bold legislative agenda for the next session of Parliament. I don't think they got enough time to see it through. We'd look, we're heading towards a general election next year. But two major proposals in the area of climate change and energy independence raised this week. The Prime Minister has proposed a, a bill to come through Parliament in the next year that will look at moving us towards a more British energy independence rather than being relying on, on hostile and foreign powers for the, the vast supply of our energy still a reliance on fossil fuels but still aggregating towards that net zero topic that everybody seems to be talking about with you know pushing the the, the timing back on on clean energy vehicles i once had an idea about getting an electric car now i see what they can do and how quickly they can immobilize you and nah, i'm i'm not sold on that one at all oh, hang on let's let's just look at this an electric car has got to be charged it seems to be escaping everybody's understanding that at the other end of that plug is a power station making that electricity. And that power station is running on a number of things. Nuclear fuel, which produces terrible waste, which doesn't disappear, but stays with us for hundreds of thousands of years. Is that a good thing? I'm going to say no straight up. Or what they're terming as fossil fuels. So gas or coal. Gas, we get directly out of the ground. They've been telling us it's going to run out since I was in school. It's not running out. In fact, we're finding more gas fields all the time with great reserves. Oil, they call it a fossil fuel, but it doesn't come from fossils. It comes from way deep down in the ground. Nobody's 100% sure where it comes from, but there's plenty of it. Again, they've been telling us it will run out, but it hasn't. And in fact, we find great oil reserves now around the world. Should our country be energy independent? Of course it should. Whose idea was it, and it, this is a political non piece of nonsense from years ago, that has stopped us from being energy dependent, independent. You see, we shouldn't be dependent on any other country for anything that we have. We should be food independent. We should be energy independent. Our farms need to be able to supply the entirety of our country. Why would we buy stuff in from another country when we can supply it here? 
First and foremost, we should be looking after the British people. Mm. And when we were in the European Union, we were screwed over because we had to accept cheap imports from the European Union. We don't have to accept that now. That was the point of getting out of the European Union. Now we need independence in our food. We need independence in our energy. There's no reason that Britain shouldn't be independent in all of these things. And from a strategic standpoint, Britain should be independent. Well, I've advocated for farming freedoms for a long time, coming from the farming community in days gone past. Um, I think the way that the government is is dealing with British farmers, in fact, the way that the European Union has dealt with farmers is beyond despicable. But again, it boils back to that thing that you've talked about several times. It's the control of a populace. You know, when you control the food production, when you control the energy production, you control the people. But, But this must be stopped. I mean, we've got farms being sold here in Wales so that outside agencies can grow trees on them so that they can give carbon credits to somebody else. What's that doing? It's taking away our agriculture and it's destroying the farming livelihoods here in Wales. And for what? A payment of cash. That's all it is, a payment of cash. Mm -hmm. They turn the place into a forest, which means you can't grow things on it for many years because then you've got to rip all these trees back out, etc. This is a shambles because carbon credits is the joke. This is a way of controlling people. There's an idea out there right now to give us all our own carbon credit system. We all will have a card that says, right, you have this amount of carbon credits to spend. No, this is another way to control us. Absolute nonsense. Do we need to worry about carbon that's going into the atmosphere? I'm going to go right out there and say, no, we do not. Carbon in the atmosphere is a good thing. And in fact, we put carbon dioxide into greenhouses so that our plants grow better, so that our tomatoes grow very well. So we can raise the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere three times, and we are at a very good level to grow tomatoes. What about that? You see, what's happening is if you remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, you're actually making it worse for things to grow. And if we look at history and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we used to have a lot more than what we have now. And we can see this in ice cores. But the government don't talk about things like that. They just talk about a rhetoric, which is the idea, oh, no, carbon's bad. Carbon is not bad. It's a lie and it's a way of controlling us. Their latest plan that they're bringing out right now is the idea that they're going to monetize our water. They're going to put a cost on our water, whether it even lands on your own roof and comes into your own water, but there'll be a cost to it. Guess where that's coming from? The World Economic Forum. This stuff has got to be stopped and our country needs to be independent in its energy, independent in its farming, but most importantly, independent in its government. That's a very, very good point. Like you've said before, I don't think we've had a change of government for, what, 27 years, close to 26 years now. I think we're due one. Definitely. So, so how do we create that? What we need is people right now to think this through, to stand up, to become independent candidates who will stand and raise the voice of the genuine people. But these people must be thinking people, not people who just go along with the latest crazy green agenda or the latest idea that gives over sovereignty and power. These people must respect our country, where we live, who we are, what we do, and they must put that as their founding point, they must live for that, and it's going to take a chunk of their lives, whatever happens. If they do it, they're going to have to set to that. They can't be corrupt. If you're going to be corrupt, you shouldn't be in it. And my viewpoint is we need to make laws right now that if you get caught doing this in a corrupt way, you will face consequences. Indeed, I believe that all these people that ripped us off in government through the COVID couple of years... These people who were responsible need to face the consequences. That's an interesting point and that's something that nobody's raising. You know my standpoint on it, Pete. I, I've long advocated for a, a government of national unity for one or two election cycles, 650 independent men and women just like you and I that are crazy enough to get involved in this political environment and say enough's enough. So I, I remember when you first said that to me, a government of national unity i'm like but what is this explain it more come on because we do need this i i'm in full agreement with you here but explain it during the second world war when we were facing all manner of crisis and we had no real way of of dealing with 
Britain being on a war footing, Churchill threw caution to the wind and they scrapped the... I, I shouldn't say they scrapped. They suspended the parliamentary system that was in place. They united with the opposition. They took key people to form what they called, what Churchill called the government of national unity. You know, the opposition leader, Clement Attlee, who later went on to become prime minister, acted almost like a deputy prime minister. In other words, it was putting the responsibility for governing the country on everybody's shoulders, not just on one political party, so that everybody shared a responsibility of when things went right, but also shared a responsibility for things when it didn't go right. In, in this day and age, that model, the, the concept works, but the modeling, as in modeling it on Churchill, is really not what's needed. So I've had to think about this a lot because I, I keep putting out this idea, government of national unity, 650 independence, but how does it work? And I, I think I've nailed it. There's a lot I'm still thinking of, but I think I've nailed it in part. Firstly, any new piece of legislation should be an open and free vote of every parliamentarian. No more whips, no more party line, what's in the best interest of the country. And that should be decided by every major piece of legislation being held at a referendum first so the public tell the, the, those in power what the public wants and then parliamentarians must vote with their constituency. Anybody that any parliamentarian that goes against the wishes of their, of their constituency should immediately be disqualified from office, in my opinion. Now, I, I like what you're saying. However, we have to have a firewall of some description because currently we have a manipulating system of uh, newspapers <coughs> and particularly TV, which is manipulating the mindset of the country by simply telling them narratives. And in general, 80% of people simply follow. So they don't do any thinking for themselves. 80% of our country do that. So if you can tell 100% of our country what to do, 80% of them will do it. We have to have a open system where people can actually choose for themselves the information that they're receiving. So the BBC, for instance, needs to be removed. Other organisations, the newspapers in our country, the control of them needs to be removed. Now, the BBC could continue to exist, but it needs to have rules that change it. It cannot have an agenda. Well, the, 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 my biggest problem with the BBC is the fact they're self-governing. You look at what's happened in the UK with the likes of GB News and, and other news agencies that have had repeated complaints filed against them with Ofcom and, and various other organisations. The BBC doesn't have that. They have their own internal system. That needs to be scrapped. The BBC is also beholden to government. In fact, actually all... Um, because of the licence fee. All, all newspapers and um, uh, TV stations are beholden to government. So we found in the, in the middle of COVID that government put out a little piece of uh, book of rules, actually, of things they were allowed to say and things they were not allowed to say. Now, that has taken away freedom of speech right there across our entire nation. Freedom of speech should be valued at the highest level and nothing should take it away. We may not like it. We may not like to hear what people have to say, but we should hear what they've got to say. But what we shouldn't hear is the lines that are being spoken from non-government organisations that are world powers in our world. The airlines should have nothing to do with the people in our country. We should look at suggestions as a people and go yes or no. But what we shouldn't be getting is this constant narrative thrust at us that this is a problem, that's a problem, this is dying, that's dying, you're in trouble, you're going to get this. Because they're all lies. Mm. And how do we see through the lies it's very, very difficult because so much information is pushed at us. I, I came across something very random the other day, which was the whole idea of eating bugs, right? It's, a, it's an idea that's being pushed around the world and they're trying to get us to stop farming, eat bugs instead. But if you Googled um, eating bugs just three years ago, you would have come up immediately with a number of uh, results for why you shouldn't eat insects with hard shells because of a particular problem um, that um, you get if you eat chitin, which is part of, the, part of the shell system of the insects. Now, if you Google it, 
all you get is a whole raft of strange but random studies, supposed studies, that say bugs are brilliant for you. They're most amazing. They will give you the most health benefits. And what I saw there was a change, a shift change in less than three years. And I, I see this manipulation of everything around us, and particularly in our online world where we can be told things which aren't true. Google News is exceptionally good at that. So you can listen to Google News, you can see things, and you think, oh, that's right. But actually, good old Telegram, get on Telegram uh, and start to have a good look and you can find behind the news and then you can find things that they aren't telling you at all and you've got a completely different narrative. Mm. This shouldn't be. We should have open narratives. Now, I understand that even in the Second World War, we were told a complete pack of lies for what was really happening on the front line. And nothing's changed that's still happening today well the media the media are the government's propaganda aren't they always have been and and something has to be done to change that i'm, I'm not sure how we go about it i just know well i, I mean there's a, there's an easy solution people just need to turn off their tvs and stop buying newspapers uh, and start doing that until we actually get the kind of news that we, we well, want. To be, to be fair, I did. Yeah, um, I you, turned but off you, my TV. And but you're, you're one out of 62 million people here in the United Kingdom. Uh, and and that's the problem. You know, 80% are just simply following without the slightest idea of what's happening. Is our course of action, you've mentioned it once already, a revolution of the people? It, it's the country who are decent and honorable people standing up and saying no we're not going to accept lies and manipulation any longer you're out you're removed and we're going to start from scratch see i think that's a fantastic place to be and the perfect place to end pete thank you so much for joining me and for being my first guest Great, on thanks a lot thanks for having us well you know this has been a very interesting and and uh, epic first edition of commons sense and uh, I'm truly thankful for you being with us. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed. But above all else, stay in the spirit of God. Mm-hmm.